0: Welcome back to the Shred Takes podcast show. It's been about a little over a week since I did my last episode, and I'm excited to talk today about a couple topics that I found throughout the NFL and NBA that you want to get into and you definitely want to check out and get into reading or learning about. If you're a fan of those two sports, let's just break down exactly what's been going on. So again, most of you who are sports fan read this morning, Matthew Stafford is now a member of the Los Angeles Rams. Again, this is not something I saw coming. I thought he was going to go to the Colts or maybe the 49ers um, teams like that. I did not think Jared Goff was just going to be booted out so quickly, but if you look at it, it makes a lot of sense. They want to invest in Sean McVay. And again, when you have a, or, you know, a guy right next door in San Francisco, a young coach in Kyle Shanahan who's been beating Sean McVay every year that he's been there, you're going to now see a dramatic shift in why they want to stay with McVay and get a more Super Bowl-ready quarterback in Matthew Stafford versus Jared Goff. That's their mindset. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just break it down from an objective lens in the sense of saying what this means to the Rams. What does Detroit get from this? Why I think that the Matthew Stafford trade is going to be basically high risk, high, high reward, if it does work out, but also it could be very bad if he doesn't live up to his potential. So let's look at it from the Detroit Lions side. Okay. You gave up a guy who didn't want to be there. You're basically cleaning house you're getting a younger quarterback in who has a chance to prove himself, right? Which is really important. And then you also get two first round picks for 2021, sorry, for 2022 and 2023, and a third round pick for 2021. Now draft picks can mean a lot because again, that's where you can get developed and get young talent. Detroit has not had great luck with that in the past of identifying the talent, but hopefully with a new coach and a new personnel change, they can at least identify that talent better and be able to make the right changes as they move forward. Now let's look at the Rams side of this. Now, again, they are not having a first round draft pick in eight years based on this, right? They, they do the Jared Goff deal and the Jalen Ramsey deal. They have taken and forfeit all their first round draft picks till 2024. And that's not very good for them as they have lost a lot of their leverage in order to develop talent in the future and invest in higher ranked stars but on the contrary you have a chance to win right now because those draft picks are not going to start over a lot of the guys in terms of the personnel that the rams have the rams have guys such as jalen ramsey aaron donald robert woods cam Akers, and cooper cup paired now alongside a quarterback who's definitely better than jared goff and matthew stafford who has a lot of talent and a lot of great tools And again, he's put up great numbers over his career. We're not going to say great numbers, but very good numbers, right? He's a very good quarterback, but he hasn't proven himself in terms of winning. He hasn't gotten the guys around him better, right? He's a a very good quarterback, but I'm not sure he's an elite-level quarterback. But I think with the the innovative mind of Sean McVay in a new system that people want to play him with a top-rated defense, top-two defense, and with a bunch of weapons, this is the great opportunity for Matthew Stafford at age 33 to really take off and make himself an elite quarterback. And he has to, because this team has too much talent to waste. And if Sean McVay is the coach we think he is, this team should be a top three team in the NFC next year with just the amount of talent they have and having a better quarterback, right? What held them back last year was Jared Goff was too turnover prone. And I think Jared Goff's a good quarterback, but he's not exceptional by any means. And again, I I think that if you look at where he's going to be in Detroit, he's got a chance to prove himself. He's got a chance to retool who he is and showcase what exactly he is. But for Matthew Stafford, he needs to win, right? He needs to prove that he can win playoff games because Jared Goff has proven to get to a Super Bowl, right? Can Matthew Stafford do that for you? Well, we'll see, right? That's kind of where I look for it, right? I think it's a win in terms of developing the youth for the Detroit Lions. And I think it's a win in terms of a championship window, right? Because you're getting a guy with a, QBR last year and Matthew Stafford that was 68.5 compared to 58.4 for Jared Goff and and again a better completing percentage more touchdowns less interceptions now Matthew Stafford has been turnover prone but from all that angle you look at that and you say okay we got a chance now with Matthew Stafford to get a chance of a Super Bowl run now I think Green Bay and Tampa Bay are still better than you if you're the Los Angeles Rams but they have the chance to get to that Super Bowl with a more talented quarterback. If Matthew Stafford is the quarterback that all these analysts believe he is, I'm I am still on the fence about him. I think he's very talented, but I need to see more from him. Now let's look at the Brooklyn Nets. I've talked about the Brooklyn Nets plenty on my show. They are because again, they are now what I call them America's team in terms of basketball, right? Everyone wants to find a team that's gonna, you know, be the contrary to LeBron James and the Lakers, contrary to any kind of LeBron-led team. And the Clippers just aren't that for people anymore. Even the Clippers, I think, have been playing exceptionally well this this season. Right now, everyone wants we'll to look at the Brooklyn Nets with their three-headed monster and Katie, Kyrie, and James Harden. Now, James Harden did not play last night, but if you look at Katie and Kyrie, they played well last night, relatively well. But the problem with their team is not that oh, the shot attempts by these guys, you know, is not necessarily equal or Katie's not getting more shot attempts than a guy like James Harden or a guy like Kyrie Irving. But what their biggest problem is, is they have the worst defense in in NBA history at at this point. The least efficient defensive team. They have one of the most efficient offenses, maybe the most efficient offense of all time in terms of how great their offense has been but their defense is just as bad as their offense being so good. And the problem is if you're going to win a championship, you got to buckle down defensively. The Washington wizards have two players who can score, right? Westbrook who has been averaging 19 points a game entering last night and Bradley bill, who's the leading scorer in the NBA, who everyone wants to get out of Washington because he's averaging 35.4 points a game, which went up last night. And he's, on right now the worst team in the nba entering last night now let's let's think about though what were their problems well again it's a lot of straight line drives to the basket right it's a lot not not very good rim protection right it's not being able to aggressively you know handle ball screens and get back quick enough to your man again it's also just turning the ball over too much giving too many fast break opportunities to guys like westbrook and again when a team inbounds the ball it's not having enough guys back in the paint where you can have that gap coverage. What I mean by gap coverage is basically if the guy has the ball at the top, you have a defender, and then you have another guy kind of in that gap role on the side that prevents him from driving those gaps, right? And so what happens last night is the Brooklyn Nets don't have that because you can't sit in the paint for three seconds. Otherwise, you have a three-second call. But no one is sitting in the paint waiting for that, right? It's a lot of straight-line drives. You know, Westbrook had 41 last night, right? Westbrook plays better against KD, but again, this is a problem, right? There's, a, there's no rim protection. It's a lot of straight line drives to the basket because you can't play DeAndre Jordan a ton of minutes because he's not the same player he once was. Jeff Green and KD, for however great they are on the offensive end, great players, they're not guys you should rely upon to be rim protectors. That's just not how it works. And Kyrie couldn't – you know, he described the best. he couldn't guard a stick last night. That's very true. He couldn't guard Bradley Beal and he couldn't guard Russell Westbrook. They combined to score 78 points, Right. And if Kyrie thinks he's a great defender, which he, in my opinion he isn't, because again, a lot of times when I watch him play, a lot of guys are blowing by him to the basket, and it's an effort thing too. Yes, but I think it's also a, a focus and talking on the defensive end. You watch the Boston Celtics against the Lakers the other night, right? Jalen Brown was showcased because he was mic'd up, talking through the different screens, saying, "Okay, hey, force him." You know, one time with LeBron, you know, kicked it to Schroeder, kicked it to Anthony Davis. There was times we're he saying, "Hey, force middle it helps you," right? But there's, there's no real help or gap coverage for the Brooklyn Nets, and that's why they're getting burned by a lot of these teams. And that's the problem with the Brooklyn Nets; They just don't guard anyone very well. Now, I saw another headline this morning, and I wanted to break that down simply for people. And let's just talk about it, right? When, when you think of, again, I, I've talked about it on the show, when you think of good centers, right, you think of guys like Hakeem Olajuwon, Kareem Aldo-Jabar, Shaquille O'Neal, right, David Robson, Patrick Ewing, um, guys like that, right? Just guys who, uh, you know, uh, Moses Malone, right? Guys who just have made the NBA staple with the big name. So what do we have now, right? We have Jokic and Embiid, two MVP candidates. A- Embiid, a guy I've been very hard on because I think he's he's been out of shape for the last couple of years. And a guy who ne- doesn't necessarily want to buy into a coaching style. I've been proven wrong on that, right? That's This is where I'm wrong. Embiid has proven to me that he can legitimately carry a team, Right. Now, what has Embiid done this year that's exceptional? He's getting in the low post, and he's taking efficient shots. He's taking less threes. And again, he's doing his work where he does it best, facing up, backing, you know, back down, post up moves. And again, he's rebounding. He's running the floor. He's playing great defense. He's in much better shape. And you saw against the Lakers. You've seen against the Celtics. You've seen against those kind of teams. He has dominated because he is being aggressive, and he is not complaining as much. And he is going and playing. That's a Doc Rivers effect. Now, I don't think Doc Rivers is the best coach in the NBA. I think Doc Rivers is a little overrated based on what he did with the Clippers last year. But I do think for young players, in terms of getting the buy-in and play to their potential, Doc Rivers is very good with that because he is is more of a disciplinarian and holds people accountable, which is why Embiid is playing at an exceptional level this year. Nikola Jokic, 47 points, 12 rebounds, and 5 assists yesterday against a team that I thought could challenge the Lakers and I still think they can in the Utah Jazz. Now, why was he able to dominate? Well, what Utah tried to employ was a defensive strategy by putting a smaller guy on him and having Rudy Gobert come and help. But what Jokic did is Jokic would pass the ball around. Jokic would make quick post moves on these smaller guys where Gobert couldn't get there quick enough. And again, then when Gobert favors his guardian, he takes him to the outside, uses his strength and ball handling. Because again, People forget Jokic can really handle the ball for a big guy. And so he's able to use that to get by these defenders, use his body, get to his right and left hand. And again, he, he shoots threes for four out of four and he had 33 points in the first half out of those 47. And that's all because they, Utah was not, when people, when people look at their defensive strategy, they're going to say, why was Bogdanovich on Jokic? Well, it's pretty, it's pretty simple. They wanted to bring Gobert over so that he could block those shots because again, Jokic is just going to take Gobert to the outside. They want to keep Gobert in the paint. I actually kind of understand that from that kind of sense. But when you go and say, okay, now we can't guard him with this because Jokic is being too quick. And then you can't bring Gobert on him because Gobert, he's just gonna take Jokic is gonna take Gobert to the outside. That's what kind of ends up happening at the end of all of this is the fact that Jokic is just playing at a absurdly high level because he's so smart. And you have guys like Michael Porter Jr. who are playing well since they returned. You know Jamal Murray played okay yesterday. Will Barton's been playing pretty well for you, but Denver's starting to pick it up right now. They're the, right now they're the fourth seed in the West around that area, right? And I think they're they're a very good team. I think that their problem is defense, and I think yesterday they played better defense. Um, um, besides Bogdanovich, who had a great game yesterday, but Donovan Mitchell shot three of 12, three of thirteen yesterday. And that's, I mean, look, he was coming off a concussion. But again, just because Utah lost to Denver does not mean Utah is still not a legitimate team. Especially at home, Utah is legit. I definitely think that. They have a bunch of guys who can score. They play great defense. Utah just had an off game yesterday, right? You know, Denver came in with a great game plan, and it worked. Jokic played an extremely high level. He took over the, the carry effective threes-a-shot against San Antonio where he had 35. And he's been averaging around that 30-point-a-game level the last, like, eight, five or six games. And that's just, you know, that's who he is. That's why these two big guys are in the MVP race right now, tops in the MVP race, because of what they're able to bring to their teams. And with his scoring, rebounding, and defense, Jogic with his scoring, rebounding, passing, and ability to run the offense as a point center. So that's kind of where I go with that, with these two guys from that standpoint. Now let's look at Deshaun Watson, right? I've talked about Deshaun Watson on the show with Colson Smith, my guest, last weekend. But I just want to break down some things where I think the best... The, the, where it makes the most sense with Deshaun Watson to go or what I really think Houston should try to do. So Jimmy Johnson, Fox sports analyst, he was, you know, two time Super Bowl head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, you know, one of the, one of the better coaches we've, we've seen in the NFL. He was very innovative. He created a lot of, he innovated and created paradigms that have really shifted, sorry, created big paradigm shifts in the NFL based on his, his trade, uh, you know, clause developments and how he drafts people and that kind of stuff. And, it's, and look, it's, it's interesting, right? Because we look at what he had to say. He said that Houston should do everything to keep Deshaun Watson. I 100% agree with that. The issue is though, is the best way I think you do that is bringing an offensive-minded coach like Eric Bieniemy, right? Because what Eric Bieniemy can do is Eric Bieniemy brings in the Kansas City offense into Houston in terms of that innovation, in terms of that just great um, schemes that he was able to employ or being able to move the quarterback around the pocket being able to throw different looks at a different defense and with a top rated quarterback, like Deshaun Watson, that is just, I think, you know, what could turn that situation around for them. But there are certain teams I think he would fit great with. I think he should look to go to San Francisco. Why I say that is because now look, I know they have Jimmy G and I know they like Jimmy G, but if you have a chance to get Deshaun Watson and get rid of Jimmy G, I would do it because Deshaun Watson is a top five or be top five quarterback in the game. He had an historically great season on a historically bad team in in Houston. And you're going to be with a great defense. You're going to be with a great young head coach like a Sean McVay and Kyle Shannon, who might be the best young head coach. He probably is the best young head coach in the NFL at this moment. And you have a good running game. You have a good structure, all that kind of stuff that you implemented. Now you lose a guy like Robert Sala when you're there, but there are different ways you can go through that. Him going to the Jets would be a disaster. I know the Jets can do a lot. But the Jets, for example, just aren't very stable and they aren't good. And I think for him, he needs to go somewhere. If he's going to leave Houston, he has to go somewhere where he knows he can win, like a Miami, like a San Francisco. I think, you know, Pittsburgh could be an interesting option. I don't think New England's a great option, actually. I was thinking about that because I'm going through the different options. New England right now, a lot of people do not want to go there. Matthew Stafford didn't want to go there. Again, you know, besides Belichick being a great coach. They don't their personnel changes aren't great. And that's true because if you look at their last couple of years, they haven't drafted a great skills player in the first round. They're trying to bank on guys taking, you know, cuts in their contracts to be able to come and play there. And a lot of guys don't want to do that. A lot of guys want to get paid the money they deserve to be paid to be able to play at a high level. And that's kind of where I go with this is Deshaun Watson needs to go to somewhere where he's going to get paid a lot and also play for a team that's going to be exceptionally high. But I think Houston should do everything in their power to make the situation easier for Deshaun because I would like to see Deshaun build that that team back up from nothing and help them win a AFC South championship and get into the playoffs and make it a little noise. But it doesn't look like he wants to do that. So if he is leaving, which reports are saying that that's what he wants to do, I think San Francisco and Miami are the two best spots for him, right? Um, I think Indianapolis, for example, is a place where I think you send a guy like Carson Wentz because I think Frank Wright and him have a good relationship. I think that could revive Carson Wentz. I think you should keep Jalen Hurts if you're the Eagles. That's kind of where I think about this, right? Deshaun Watson fits best in Miami and San Francisco. That's where I go with that. Now, thank you for tuning into the show. If you like what you're seeing, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. check out clips up on YouTube And I am very excited that I'm back on. I will be back on hopefully later this week with a guest. And um, thank you for tuning in to the Shrett Takes Podcast show.